0: Welcome to Priyo's Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trichhauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. In late 1991, refugee camps were set up in Dadaab, Kenya. Today, the three camps located there make up the third largest refugee complex in the world. For many, Dadaab is a long-term home, and education is, of course, an important part of life both in the camp and once an individual leaves. But while the UN Sustainable Development Goal 4 recognizes the need for everyone to have access to education, questions still remain about how to convert that education into stable and durable futures that lead to long-term security for individuals and their communities. At Prio, the project Refugee Education, Building Durable Futures, or REBUILD, is seeking to examine these questions. Hassan Aden is a doctoral researcher at PRIO and a PhD student at Gothenburg University. He holds a master's degree in Global Studies majoring in Political Science from Lund University and a bachelor's degree in International Relations from Malmö University. His work, which is part of the Rebuild project, focuses on how education can build durable futures and the challenges refugees often face when seeking and using educational opportunities. He worked with Positive Negatives, an organization that turns research into artistic pieces like videos and comics, to represent some of the narratives he gathered in Dadaab in an animated video. Working alongside him was Hana Ali, who wrote the script for this animation. The hope is that the animation can be used as a policy and teaching tool around the world. Hana is a writer, as well as a teaching fellow and PhD candidate at SOAS, University of London, where she specializes in Afro-Arab identity. She's a former radio presenter in the Middle East and was listed as number four in BuzzFeed's 21 Black British Muslims You Should Know About, and was part of Trailblazing Muslim Women 2018. She's the artistic director of Kaid Somali Arts and Culture. Her debut short story collection, The Story of Us, was published in October 2017 and can be found at Market54.com. Hana can be found on Twitter at Hana Ali. H-A-N-N-A-A-L-I. H-A-N-N-A-A-L-I. Welcome to the podcast, Hassan and Hana. Uh, Hassan, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about your project. Um, you're going to have an animation coming out today, and that's very exciting, and it's, it's a lovely animation. But can you maybe give us a little bit of context and set the stage for how this actually happened?
1: Uh, thank you very much. But to give, first to give you about a brief background about my project on, on what I'm working on. Uh, My doctoral project uh, focuses on understanding how refugee youths in the DAPCAMs in Kenya uh, imagine and pursue futures through education. So what I'm specifically interested in is young people's educational aspirations and their navigational capacities in relation to their valued educational goals and how they negotiate complex webs of challenges that affect their education and the aspirational endeavors. So what this also involves basically is understanding young people's experiences and the possible or the potential tensions inherent in the aspiration processes, as well as the actuality of them achieving uh, their desired goals.
0: So why did you want to use animation to convey some of your research findings? This is I think, a fairly unconventional uh, way of communicating research, and it's a really lovely way to do it. Um, but but why did you think that that would be ideal for your project? Uh,
1: well, I think uh, we wanted to use animation-based videos principally for two reasons. Uh, first, we wanted to simplify uh, the complex and abstract information about refugee young people's hope and aspirations in their education, and the everyday structural challenges that affect their learning processes as well as their aspirational endeavors. So the second reason uh, is that we wanted to reach out and influence as many people as possible, especially the donor communities, so that education of refugee young people in the DAP camps can be better supported. So as we know, uh, according to the findings in my research, the education in the DAP camps at the moment, is in a deep quality crisis uh, due to declining donor fundings for education. And refugee students suffer a lot uh, from inadequate learning resources, overcrowded classes, uh, limited number of trained teachers. And all these challenges cumulatively affect young people's capabilities as well as their performances in the national examinations. And the fact that that also limits their potential to be able to achieve their valued educational goals. And that's why we actually want to ensure that the donor communities make the necessary intervention so that refugee young people are able to get the necessary resources and opportunities as well for them to be able to succeed in and through their education.
0: Hmm. So, Hana, you're a researcher, uh, and your research is very interesting. But in this case, you were actually working on the script for the animation. Uh, and it seems like those are quite different jobs. I mean, script writing versus uh, doing a PhD or doing research. Was this something you had done before? And what actually interested you interested you about doing this project?
2: Um, thank you for having me. Um, this is not something that I've done before. Um, I think it's a... Wonderful opportunity for anybody who is interested not only in research but in the outcomes of education and the entire refugee journey uh, from a human developmental um, perspective to be in, to be involved in something like this. It's very different from the way that academia normally tackles these issues um, so much. Of research is full of really complex language that is often not accessible, and you know, full of jargons, and it turns things into cold, hard facts. And of course, you have to because you are talking about facts. You're not talking about you know thoughts and um, versions of, of, of events that you know might be might happen or not happen. These are really specific things that we are trying to tackle within academia, and so. So much of that is very, very important, but also very inaccessible. And I think when we deal with numbers and statistics and we say loose terms like refugees, you know, it's, it's hard to uh, emotionally disconnect yourself from it. But something like this, that's very visual, that lets you focus on very specific people, um, makes you understand that you are talking about individuals here, not just numbers, not just masses. And I think from that point of view, it's been a real honor to have brought those small stories um, to life and, and highlighted.
0: So, in the end of the animation, um, it is pointed out that the stories that are being told in this short video they are compiled from testimonies and anonymized. So it's not it's not um, any one person necessarily. But what was the process like for actually? writing this script, um, did you collaborate directly with Hassan very much? Or were you kind of trying to pick out the threads of the narratives? Or how, how did you actually create this story?
2: Yeah, I think the the, the collaborative um, effort was great. I was able to access um, testimonials and, and statements from, you know, anonymized um, people that were part of Hassan's research. And so that Helped to inform me a lot. So, what you are looking at is 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 words by many people that you are trying to kind of bring together into specific persons or characters. And I think it's 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 thinking about the um, the combined experience that people have had and the threads that are coming through. And a lot of it is is you know connected with this sense that people just people don't necessarily want you to do everything for them they just want the opportunity to do things for themselves they want the opportunity to make it um, on their own terms so that they can can define a destiny for themselves and I think that's the thread of that desire of that ambition that I just want the opportunity to do well um, that came through throughout um, these 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 transcripts um, so from that point of view it was really exciting to try
0: and bring that to life. Mm. And um, I'm curious, and I guess this question is for both of you, have any of the interviewees had a chance yet to see the final animation? Have they had any reactions to it? Or maybe maybe you haven't uh, been able to send it to them yet?
1: Uh, no, you haven't been able to share with them yet, uh, principally because uh, they are not yet final. Uh, i hope we are going to launch very soon and uh, that is when they are going to have access to it and uh, i will make sure that uh, i share to those young people and their, and their and their teachers as well so that they see the great input that they have made uh, in, ensuring that uh, this information is widely accessible uh, and their voice are heard by the larger uh, international community
0: mm I think one thing that's really interesting about this format is it uses personal stories but as you as you said hana you had access to these anonymized interviews but it's not any one i guess it is real people but it's not any one person mm-hmm. um and in that sense i think it kind of avoids this trap of really exploitation because there have been so many i mean notoriously there have been so many kind of charities or organizations that use either photos or videos of often children um, in ways that are very I think very exploitative and uncomfortable. Um, Did you have any reflections on that when you were writing your script? I mean was that something that was in in your mind? Because and again I think you've done it very successfully with this video uh, in a a great way but was that something that you thought about while you were working?
2: No absolutely and I think the fact that you know this is ultimately rooted in research and the fact that the video makes it very clear towards the end that this is a that these words and these stories um, and experiences are the the creation of a combined testimonials you know based on real people's words allows There to be more room to manoeuvre, so that it's not a case that you've plucked this one young person and sort of exploited their trauma. I think a lot of times people are very weary of, you know, this constant um, visual sort of trauma that's put on display, just so that you can get to where you need to go. You know, you're you're you're, you're being given a lot of visuals. I think this is something that's happening currently in, in social media and. Um, it can be a lot. And I think, you know, you do often wonder, you know, what is going to happen to this person? You know, we've seen this kind of really horrific moment in their lives, but who is actually helping them beyond what's been witnessed. So I think the fact that it's um, not one single person allows um, there to be a bit more um, sensitivity to the genuine trauma that is being um occurred with with refugees. Um, And I think for that reason, that made it a lot um, easier to write freely, knowing that there is a context here that's going to be explained at the end of the video.
1: Yeah, maybe to add on Hannah's point, I think, uh, whereas we only had two characters that are presented in the animation, uh, I think this is uh, touched on the larger experiences uh, of refugee young people in the DAP camps, uh, be it in terms of uh, access, into, uh, access into good quality education, as well as in terms of them being able to convert their acquired knowledge and skills into. A meaningful livelihood uh, for themselves and for their families in fact so that is why we have like one student and one teacher in the history uh, so that we shed light on the the different challenges that students and teachers encounter in the DAP refugee camps
0: yeah so that brings me to my next question for you hassan because in your work you're not just focused on the access to education but actually translating that into real gains for Refugees. So I'm wondering if you can break this down a little bit. First of all, what does access to education actually mean, and what is meaningful access to education? And then how how do refugees or how can they translate that into real livelihood or economic value? Uh,
1: thank you very much, Indigo. This is really very interesting question, and I think which needs to be discussed uh, widely uh, uh, because normally when we talk about in refugee education policy discourse, we tend to focus on refugees' access to education. We don't think about access to good quality education and the fact that refugees also have the right to be able to translate or convert their acquired education into meaningful uh, livelihoods or economic values, as I've said before. So basically, in a a nutshell, refugees have right to access good quality education and they have the right to achieve their valued uh, goals through education. However, the actual reality uh, for many refugees across the world is that I mean the possibility of them accessing these rights is often confronted by multiple challenges. For example, if I talk about uh, in terms of profession or access to education, refugee education is provided in as short term interventions and not a long-term development project. So the implication of this view is that, that less consideration is given to evaluate whether the education is pro- provided to refugees is of quality and whether it suits refugees' uh, social cultural needs or whether it is uh, they are able to acquire a meaningful skills that they are able to use in other contexts Possibly in other places where their the futures might take place, the futures could take place in a, in, in, a, in a third country. The futures could take place in their home country, possibly. So understanding also the the, uh, the adaptability of those skills in other places is also something that is very much important for uh, for the quality of education. But as I have also observed in that adapt uh, context, for example, uh, there is also often a limited administrative oversight, particularly in those schools that are run by non-governmental organizations. Uh, And that sometimes compromises the quality of education and the performances of students in those schools. And those things also maybe need to be considered in understanding education as a long-term development project and not a humanitarian. So the second issue I was also thinking about was basically that refugee young people across the world are often confronted with the fact that they lack the entitlement to the rights and the freedom to translate the skills and knowledge that they acquire or accumulate to economic values so that they're able to better support uh, their families uh, and, and themselves as well. And the main reason for this is the fact that there is often a strict citizenship regimes in many countries, particularly in the global South countries, which host the largest uh, uh, numbers of, 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 of refugees in the world. So I think those things also need to be taken into account as well.
0: And also another aspect of this, I mean, you mentioned citizenship and, and also just moving across borders, but I'm thinking, what kind of issues can they run into with even just getting their education properly recognized? Uh, because... What is it like when, you know, someone maybe has a middle school or high school education from a refugee camp, but then goes to another country? What kind of processes might they run into? Is there any real um, oversight or kind of system for recognizing that education?
1: Uh, Well, it depends on the particular country, Uh, for example. uh, Some countries might recognize the question. For example, I was uh, very much fortunate that i had studied through education in kenya system or especially in the DAP camps whereby uh, the system in kenya is recognized uh, by the scandinavian countries especially uh, sweden where i started my journey of higher education so uh, that is one thing but we can also think or look look at it from the perspective of those young people maybe returning to their country in the middle of their education. For example, if a child begins his education in the Kenyan system, would they be able to adapt a system in, a, in another country? If they, for example, to their home countries, if they return uh, to that country which has maybe a different system. For example, in the Somali system, we have an education that is taught in Arabic and mother tongue. So we don't have maybe an English system. Uh, uh, I mean, there is an English. Learning process also, but we need also to consider the real social cultural needs of those uh, uh, of, of those children in that sense. So I mean, it has to accommodate all the specific social historical needs of refugee children. That is, I mean, very central to the social justice aspect and for accessing a good quality education for refugees.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and. Hana, I kind of want to ask you a question that, and if you're not prepared for this one and you can't answer it, I completely understand because I'm ambushing you a bit, but your your research, you look at identity, and I know that you look at it in a very different context, but I'm curious, when you were working on this project, education can be such a big part of someone's identity. Um, were there any aspects of of your research that you were able to bring into working on this project?
2: Um... I would say no in a direct sort of basic way. (laughs) The short answer is no. It's very different um, in the sense that I very much am looking at how, um, you know, dual heritage in itself is conceived. And then within that, you know, layers of, of blackness and Arabness. And then if you already have, let's say, a mixed heritage, how do you then make sense of that when you come to the West? Um, and that you know the the angle of the diaspora but I think ultimately you know your your sense of identity and your sense of self is very much influenced by the education that you receive it's very much influenced by the very idea of of being a refugee I think forced migration is um, a story that a lot of Somalis have in common myself included um, and so I was perhaps more able to bring in my personal experience into this, which is one of the reasons why I was so interested in being part of this project, was, you know, when... Uh, and having that experience of, of of being a child refugee and and perhaps I was fortunate in the sense that I was too young to have started my education um, journey, but I also know that so much interruption happens. So, you know, we came as refugees from Somalia to to Sweden when I was um, five, six years old. And so I very much remember the interruption that I had of perhaps not, um, being settled as a as a as a younger person, and you know, in Sweden you start school when you're like seven, seven and a half. And I have a very vivid memory of my entire class knowing how to read, for example, and I didn't. And it, you know, and that feeling of of knowing that something was wrong, uh, and and you know, I I didn't learn to read and, and write till I was nearly eight. So um, those things, I think, are indicative of the disruption that takes place in a child's life when they are ultimately uprooted from their home and that question of home drives somebody towards education and i think that's something that we see through the the, the stories and the testimonies that that were taking place in, in in the camps is that people a lot of people want to be able to go home but it's not a sense of i want to go back to somalia for the sake of you know so that i can experience the soil you know they want to go back and um, be like the title is you know an agent of change they want to go back and and contribute meaningfully to the reconstruction of their country and I think education is such a fundamental tool that allows you to have options options being you know if you want to stay then you have a very good education that you you know, you should be able to to use in Kenya if you want to go home. You have a very good education to be able to seek um, employment and and financial freedom and and back home. But equally, you know how that education needs to be strong enough to be translated into Western Europe or wherever your journey takes you. Um, it should be something that allows you to to go where your ambitions and where your talent lies, you know, people work very, very hard. And, you know, as we could see in the, in the, in the testimonials um, of, you know, um, how the pressure to study. And I think so much of it needs to be able to be rewarded when you know that you've worked so hard for so many years, you want to be able to know that this, 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 this this work is going to be translated somehow into um, being economically empowered and have a real shot at at having a future that you deserve, and not a future that you should accept because you are a refugee, um, but a future that that meets your ambitions.
0: I really appreciate you sharing that, and I think that you've made a really good point about the the individual and also the. I guess bigger group because this is something that I've heard a lot of researchers talk about that um, refugees they don't necessarily recognize themselves in in the media narratives or even in research narratives sometimes and like you say it's it is both about the individual and an individual having the freedom and and access to fulfilling their life however they want to but um, also making sure that people in in the camps or wherever they end up actually get the access to that feature that they want um so hassan i'm wondering if you well maybe you have something to to comment on uh what Hanna said um if not we can talk a little bit about policy recommendations which i think is always the most challenging question in any conversation after somebody's done such thorough research as this but you can uh, pick what you'd like to address here
1: uh, well thank you uh, uh hannah for talking about, I mean, these very interesting issues very well. Uh, But I will, for me, I will particularly focus on the policy recommendation because I see this is where I think we need to make significant impacts. Given the reality that conflicts and displacements are often kind of uh, protracted, what we need to think about is whenever we are thinking about provision of education to refugees, this need of taking into account the long-term development project. I mean, education as a long-term development project and not as a short-term humanitarian intervention. So grounded on this argument, I think it would be crucial that refugees get access to sufficient resources so that they're able to succeed in their education and as well as they're able to get opportunities to succeed through education. But I would particularly like to emphasize the importance of ensuring that refugees are entitled to the rights and freedoms that would enable them to translate acquired capabilities into meaningful gains especially economic values so that they can better support themselves and their and and, and their families i know it's sometimes very complex when i'm mean, talking about entitlement rights and freedoms uh, because this requires uh, political will and policy shift in many host <coughs> sorry uh, host countries uh, worldwide uh, especially in the global south countries uh, which hosts almost 80 almost 86% of refugees in the world so i think it is important of that that the host countries lift restrictions born out of strict citizenship regimes that denies refugees the right to be right to employment as well as the freedom of mobility. So uh, maybe I can talk about clearly or specifically in relation to the context of Kenya which I think I know very much. So in the context of Kenya there's something called a harmonization policy uh, which regulates how much uh, salary for example refugees can earn for a service that they provide inside the camps, maybe working as a teacher in the schools, uh, and you might find sometimes that a teacher who has, who's well experienced, who has the necessary skills, and maybe some of them have like a bachelor's degree in education, or some of them have also masters. So who earn a hundred US dollar a month, while their colleagues who are also providing the same services earn almost like five times more and i think such kind of of di- i mean such differences is a bit unjust and it violates refugees human right and i think that needs to be reevaluated so i particularly uh, appealed in that sense to the kenyan government and the unhcr to reevaluate the harmonization policies so that refugees are able to translate the their knowledge and the skills that they have been accumulating over a long period of time into a meaningful economic values.
0: Mm. Thank you for that very concrete uh, policy recommendation, Hassan. And and I'm hoping that this episode will also get to some of these uh, key policymakers because this is such an important uh, recommendation and message to have. For my final question, um, I just want to go back to the the narratives themselves in the, in the interviews. And this is a question for, for both of you. Um, obviously, I'm sure that you had a lot of um interviews and and information to sift through. And the video, the animation uh, that we're launching is quite short. I think it's less than four minutes. So as just a final question, I'm curious, was there anything um, surprising, particularly interesting, or or, um, just maybe that you feel like people should know about that maybe didn't make it into the video? Um, that you would want to highlight for for people who are interested in this topic, and uh, I guess I'll give I'll give Hana the word first, and then Hassan, you can answer as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the video is perfect. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I think it captures um, the essence of the story. I think it's it's you know the in making something visual. Um, Perhaps from an artistic point of view, I think it's it's important to be um, short and sharp and to the point. And I think from a, a visual point of view, I think the the amount of time, um, the the length of the video perfectly is is adapted to probably you know the 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 length of time that the average person watches a video. And I think I and I say that and I highlight that because I think you know we are trying to hopefully get as much. Um, attention and um, you know people to to view this as possible and the masses have very short attention spans <laughs> because you want to watch something that's you know bite-sized and I think for that reason it's visually um it really highlights I think the the heart and the essence of the story
0: that's lovely Hassan what about you was there anything that you felt was was missing or or do you think that it really encapsulates um all the things that you would want to highlight?
1: Uh, well, I think there are so many things uh, that uh, this animation sheds light on. Uh, one, I think we can look from the perspective of refugee young people's aspirations and hope in education, as well as the structural challenge that affects their everyday learning processes, and as well as we sometimes constrain the, the possibility of achieving the, uh, the, the, the aspirations. But if you look at the other side also, you might find that refugee young people are very much resilient people. They are, uh, they are very much courageous, uh, as we have seen, especially on teachers who are able to continue supporting uh, their community, despite the fact that they are made very little amount of of money at the end of, of the month. So, I mean, it touches on a wide scope of things, which I think are very much relevant and uh, which the dominant discourse of understanding refugees tend to under-emphasize most often. And I think those are the things that we need to see. We don't need to see refugees as victims always, but we also need to see refugees as people with agency who are, who are capable of dealing with really difficult circumstances that is inherent in their particular context and in their everyday uh, 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 life.
0: Thank you both so much for sharing and for explaining the process behind this animation. When this episode comes out, I'll link in the description to um, both the video itself and also um, some of the research behind it, and so I'm hoping that people will uh, want to go deeper into um,
1: more of the information behind this, this wonderful video, so thank you. Thank you so much, Indigo and thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us. I know uh, now you are supposed to work on your PhD as well, but... Uh... I'm it's a pleasure. That you have been able to, yeah.
2: No, thank you so much for for inviting me to be part of this project. and I think that the research um, and the work that you're doing hassan is incredible. and I genuinely you know cannot wait to to keep in touch and also see where this research goes and hopefully it, it leads to um, policy change and and real physical um, change.
0: Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. To watch the animation, go to prio.org rebuild. Editing, recording, and hosting by
1: me, Indigo Trighauger. Music by Martin Lennemol.